You're listening to a Radio Stockdale podcast. Podcasts that are inspiring, interactive, and feature various discussions of leadership, ethics, and law. Welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always... Sean Baker. And today's topic is a double feature of both the 1996 film, The Island of Dr. Moreau, and the 1932 film, The Island of Lost Souls. Now, originally for this intro, we wanted Marlon Brando to do the uh, recording, but he asked for too much money, so we couldn't get him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but anyway, so both movies, if you realize, they're both based on the famous novel by H.G. Wells, The Island of Dr. Moreau. Now, in both stories, now the guy's name in the book is called Pendrick, yeah. but it's two different characters in The Island of Lost Souls, but I'm just going to call him Pendrick because that's his character in the book. Yeah. He's a survivor. Well, in the 96 film, it's a plane crash, and the 32 film, it's a boat uh, a shipwreck. Boat, a shipwreck. Yeah. And the novel, it's a shipwreck. Yes. And he's the only survivor, I think, in the 96 film and in the novel. There were two other guys, but they fought over each other and they drowned. And now he's there. He gets picked up by a boat and he meets a man named Montgomery. Now, and Montgomery is talking about how. You know, we'll let you off at this other place, but first, I got to stop at my island. And there's a lot of mystery about this island. Yeah. And we should point out that uh, the ship that uh, Montgomery is on has a a very large cargo of animals. Animals. And uh, the most prominent being dogs. You hear dogs barking all the time. Yeah. And in the, in the, both in the novel and the 1932 film, but not in the 96 film. We see some strange-looking uh, sailors. They very almost look like animals. Yeah, and he doesn't know exactly what's going on. And yeah, very hairy, kind of hunched over. Uh, especially in the thirty-two film, they 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 look uh, almost like the Wolfman from some of those movies, and maybe yeah. the way a Neanderthal would appear. Yeah, or even know. the. Uh, early ape creatures from 2001 a little bit a little bit yeah, yeah. maybe that's a little bit stretch but yeah. yeah but um anyway through different you know in this each story is a little bit different but but he has to stay on this island with montgomery and he real montgomery works with this guy named a dr moreau now um, hendrick figures out that moreau's name is infamous in london he was doing vivisections and doing some sort of cruel experimentations on animals, particularly dogs. And it was discovered because one of the dogs he was experimenting on, which was badly mutilated, escaped from the laboratory, and that caused him to be shunned. Right. So Moreau says, you can stay on this island, we'll give you a room, but don't leave. Right. But of course, he gets, you know, curiosity gets the best of him. He wanders around, and he walks in on them doing an experimentation on this animal that looks like a man. Now, in the novel, it's a puma woman, I believe. Yeah, and And in the 96 film, they're actually delivering a baby baby from what looks to be some kind of 
I couldn't quite tell. Cross him. between a human and a cat. Kind of. It's hard to tell. Yeah, it's hard to tell. Yeah. And we don't really, it's more obscure to the 1932 film, so we don't exactly know what the exact animal, but it's always that. Yeah. He That's runs the- around, he's in complete fear. And it's different in each one, but in the in the novel, he threatens to drown himself. He goes out to the water, and Moreau hands him a gun, saying, if you feel uncomfortable, trust me, but I'll tell you. And he's telling him that he does a lot of experimentations on this island, yeah. basically creating kidnapping animals and experimenting on them with trying to make them appear human. Yeah. And while doing this experimentation, we forgot during his runnings, he runs into this group, this tribe almost. And they, 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 they various, uh, in awe of Pendrick because he has five fingers, just like Moreau when they call Moreau the master. And they even have this code of, you know, do not eat, Meet, are we not men? Do not walk on all fours, are we not men? And they have this chant always ending, are we not men? Yep. And they call Moreau the great master. I know in the 96 version, they're afraid of Montgomery, but I don't, I don't recall that in the book or in the 32 film, if yeah. they have a great fear of Montgomery, even though he does the whipping and stuff. And there's this whole thing about pain. Moreau talks about yeah. pain and how he says pain is almost necessary. And yes. pain, fear of pain makes humans weak. And in these experimentations, he's going to avoid that. And so eventually, and now not in the novel, but in both the 32 and 96 film, there is this woman in the 96 film. It's supposed to be Moreau's daughter. Yeah. And this other one, she's supposedly, they say she's a native of another Island. Right, and uh, it's revealed that she is also one of these experimental cat. subjects. Yeah. Yes, eventually uh, there's a trial held because there was a killing, and then Moreau like eating of another animal. I forget. I think it was a rabbit or something. Yeah, the, uh, one of the cat-like creatures. He he violates two of the laws. Yeah, he kills another creature. They're not supposed to do that. Not supposed to eat mm-hmm. meat. Which uh, does, does raise interesting questions about how feasible it is for these creatures to sustain themselves if they're not going to eat meat. Clearly, they're hybrids of carnivores. But the other rule uh, is that they cannot kill. And they oh, and there's a third rule. Actually, uh, they're not supposed to run around on all fours. Yeah, there's a whole like list. Yeah, I always end it with, "Are we not men?" Yeah, no, so, we are Devo. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but anyway, after you know, after sort of a going around this and there's a big division in the island and some people don't want to rebel against Dr. Moreau and they go on the hunt for the person but it kind of gets confusing when you watch all these and then you read the book which one's which because I remember the person that they blame I think they blame um, I forget who they blame in the novel might be the puma but they blame them for all the crimes but it's actually a hyena swine yes he's a hybrid of Apparently, a hybrid of three creatures, a yeah. human, a hyena, and a swine, right? Yeah, and eventually it gets to a big conflict and a riot. Um, Moreau is killed, and so is Montgomery, and Pendrick, and I, all of them escape. In the novel, it's different than either of the adaptations because he stays on the island for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he slowly witnesses all the creatures revert back to their animal form after the death of Montgomery and Moreau. Mm-hmm. They go back on all fours, and that was one of the things Moreau was worried about. And yeah. so, but eventually, he is, gets off the island. He's rescued by a ship, 
And in both, it's explained. It's sort of a little bit um, abrupt in the thirty-two version, but in both the ninety-six and the original, he, he gets back to society, but he's afraid because you know he doesn't see that much different yes. between the creatures on the island and then the people. Yes. So the reason I, I've always kind of wanted to do the ninety-six, yeah, because, just so everybody in the audience understands this, uh, Alex has been after me to do this yeah. film for for at least because, half a year. Because I feel sometimes we can learn from a bad movie almost as much as we can learn from a great one. We just, the previous show, we did a movie that won the best picture. Yeah. 96 version is not winning any best pictures. No, it is not. But because nobody knows, it is one of the most infamous box office and critical disasters of all time. It got horrible reviews. Did not make its money. It was a, there was a documentary called Lost Souls about the making of the movie which it was a so it just the stories are just so crazy it was a disaster to make yes the two main or the two of the two of the main characters were uh to use a phrase hot messes uh Val Kilmer and uh Brando Brando uh and yeah the, reading the accounts of the production of this film you, you do get the distinct impression it was cursed from the very beginning and they it would have been much yeah. better uh, leaving it well enough alone. Now that we've said that, I did want to contrast it with a film that's, in, that's held in much higher regard, The Island of Lost Souls from 1932. Yeah. And I remember you said that the 96 film felt like a bad B-movie. Well, the 1932 film is a B-movie. This is a low-budget film, but it's good. I mean, it's on the Criterion Collection for yeah. a reason. Yeah, and it comes across not as a B-movie, but as an A-movie. And it it does a better job, I think, of through the... Not so much through the dialogue, but through the presentation of the characters, I think does a, a better job of exploring some of the uh, uh, ethical ramifications of of the of the story and the as it were the technology they're attempting to apply here and i really like the exploration of the moreau character there um he doesn't come across simply as some sort of a mad scientist he seems to be uh uh sane but in the he, 1932 film in the 32 film yes clearly i mean the brando character is off his nut for sure but in the 32 film, you can kind of see, I think, how through a gradual process of wanting to do these kinds of experiments, um, he's slowly been pulled into a position where he is doing things of a terribly immoral nature. He's creating creatures that um, because of the, 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 as it were, their essence, the essence he's created, uh, they're necessarily miserable. They're not, they're not quite men. They're not quite animals. Um, they have, uh, uh, they live in constant fear of transgressing these laws of his, and he uses a whip to keep them in line. Um, so treating them in a deeply inhuman way, but at the same time, he, he, he thinks at some level that he's, uh, he's doing something good, that he's attempting to create some kind of new creatures that will lack some of the faults that human beings have. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I think that's part of the oddness of this law code he has. I mean, he's, he's wanting to genetically uh, engineer a way um, predatory behavior, uh, 
uh, and and carnivorous uh, uh, eating habits. And he's picking the wrong animals to do this with, first of all. But he's trying to, um, uh, through some sort of a, you know, we have to keep in mind, as I say this, that this is um, pre- Watson and Crick, so uh, nobody's quite sure, or nobody's quite sure in 1932 exactly how it is, and at the time that Wells wrote, exactly how it is um, uh, gen- genetic information is passed on. So they have this neat term he actually uses, the germ plasm, and that's very much kind of Victorian era scientific terminology. It's really neat. I like that actually. So, and you, and you see the kinds of technology used in the different stories as it were, advancing with the time at which the script was created. You know, you see the Brando character make explicit reference to genetic engineering via DNA. Um, I I kind of like that. And in the uh, original story, it looks like what's going on is quite literally surgical grafting of uh, um, different sorts of animals, hopefully putting them together in a way that will allow the, the construct to survive so it has that very Frankenstein feel to it, mm-hmm. but what's different about it in this case is it's not different parts of one species, it's different parts of quite different species. It's not even quite hybridization. Um, as, as you know, sometimes you can, uh, you can um, uh, mate highly similar uh, species and you'll get a new result out of it. The mule is a classic example. Um, but um, uh, what's... Uh, science fiction about the story and also kind of deeply disturbing about it and i'm sure wells did this on purpose is the fact that they're quite distinct and dissimilar species he's attempting to graft together uh in this quest to create a better being and all the while he's doing it he is exemplifying uh um at least in 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 his attempts to control these animals and get the result he wants. He's got this fascination with the research, but he almost doesn't realize that in so doing, he's exemplifying the worst aspects, dare I say, the animalistic aspects of humanity. Very interesting. And the thing is, with H.G. Wells, he's always had that um, ability to look at what's going on at, at during the was current at his time yeah and adapted i mean famously war of the worlds was around that same time there was all that talk about canals on mars so that's where he kind of went with this and with this you know looking up this there was a lot of uh, opposition in particularly in london to vivisection especially on yeah. animals yes and there was even a i read there was it got so much there was even an anti-vivisection society yep. in london so once again he took that idea of what was going on and running with it yeah and he's also uh, uh this is less well known about him but he's also i think uh, through the um, artifice of this story uh, thinking about the ethical implications of the eugenics movement, uh, which was very uh, in vogue at the time, and uh, kind of an outgrowth of Darwinian theory, the eugenics movement was. It was this belief that it would be possible through careful careful uh, uh, breeding or genetic engineering to improve the human species. So we see, we see an element of him thinking about that project too um 
and I, I, I should say there's there's also an element of his thinking, and this is not surprising because he's he's uh, uh, British thinking about uh, colonialism, and there there's a certain uh, analogy being drawn between Moreau and these creatures and uh, the kind of colonial colonialist enterprise, at least in in some spheres, was either rationalized or truly believed to be a, uh, uh, an effort toward improving inferior races in, in mm-hmm. a human race uh, in the human race so he's thinking about that too and what's quite interesting is uh, part of the message that he's sending here i think is um the people that appoint themselves these kinds of uh tasks that they think they're improving humanity in some way or another very often, and by imperceptible steps, fall into uh, inhuman means uh, uh, toward that goal. And I, I, I think that's kind of part of the fascination in the Moreau character, more so in the first film and in the book than in the, uh, in the last film. You can see, again, he's a little bit like a, for lack of a better analogy, He's a little bit like that frog that's put in the water and the temperature's gradually turned up, and before you know it, he's in dire straits. Well, something ethically is going on with him that's like that, and he's descended through his experimentations into very a very dark space, starting from vivisection, which um, in itself is very cruel. Uh, and for people who don't know what vivisection is, it's, it's actually... Uh, um, taking apart and doing autopsies on living creatures, and uh, uh, in 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 some instances it was considered necessary for medical training because there is no other way you're going to be able to see, at least back then with the technology they had at the time, exactly how the circulatory system works, for instance. So uh, even though that's the case, there it was controversial. It ten- it's still controversial today. Um, there are interesting cases of uh, medical training uh, for military personnel where they will use pigs that are uh, alive and uh, injured and distressed, obviously, and allow them to practice surgical procedures on these creatures in that circumstance because it very closely mimics the circumstance of injured human beings in combat. And also, pigs are somewhat similar to us anatomically. So it, uh, there's a certain uh, practical consideration there as well. So these kinds of issues aren't going away. And they're, uh, I think, fascinatingly uh, uh, explored in, the, in this story. And even this, you know, what we feel is an absurd idea maybe of it creating this animal-human hybrid it wasn't around at the time of making this novel, but, you know, 20, 30 years later, um, we have the infamous Stalin ape experiments, where of those who don't know, he tried to impregnate, was it female apes with human DNA? He tried both ways. He actually, this guy named Ilya Ivanov, uh, he, uh, he proposed this to the Central Committee in 1924, just very shortly after uh, Lenin had died and Stalin was the man in charge. And uh, they gave him the go-ahead to try this. 
Uh, he had actually done a lot of work in in vitro fertilization, and it had actually succeeded. So they were thinking, well, maybe we can create hybrids by uh, fertilizing ape egg with human sperm or vice versa, and and uh, might get some creatures that come from that union. Uh, that we can make use of in some way. Now, what's kind of interesting is the question that rises, because there's not a lot, a lot of information about this in the primary uh, source material. It came out in the 90s when, for a brief period of time, Russia kind of opened up and let, let a lot of their documentation out, uh, but then the doors closed again. But there's not a lot in that material explaining exactly what they were trying to, why they were trying to create these hybrids. Uh, some people suggest it was to create something like a, a, a worker, a, a, a less than human worker class that we could heavy manual labor. Yeah, we could exploit with uh, less con- pangs of conscience than we do with humans. And well, for all the rhetoric that the communists have about helping the working man, they 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 better consider those kinds of things. But then the other possibility is that uh, uh, there was this kind of large project that was part kind of rooted in in the metaphysical uh, views of of, uh, Marxism. Uh, According to that view, um, the human psyche, the human psychology, emotional makeup, our our moral uh, points of view, all ultimately derive from the economic system of production within which we uh, exist. And uh, concomitant with that view is the idea that if you change the production system of a society, that will have ramifying effects up into that, uh, is it what they call the superstructure, the culture, and ultimately on individual psyche. So they thought if they eliminated capitalism and class antagonisms, over the longer term, this would have very profound effects on individual psyche. People would not be so selfish, individual. They'd be more prone to work collectively. Now, uh, they found through uh, uh, um, plenty of empirical evidence that this does not occur. This does not occur. In their own case, they, they claimed that they had created a communist society without classes, but people very stubbornly held on to old ways and old religious systems and things like that. So one of the um, uh, justifications for this research might have been to see whether or not through uh, hybridization and genetic engineering it would be possible to kind of skip the step of having to go through a changing of the material basis, the economic system, and you could go get right away in an immediate step to that changed psychology that would be ideal for communism. So that's another possible explanation of this man's um, research, which, by the way, just in case everybody needs to know this, was an utter and abject failure. Uh, this hybridization can't work. We're, we're too dissimilar from apes. And there is a great irony in this with the connection between Moreau and this ape experiment because I don't know the exact time. I'm definitely assuming it was before World War II, but H.G. Wells had a sit-down interview with Joseph Stalin. Yes. And, of course, he wouldn't know at the time, but, oh, my God, the irony that you have the guy who wrote 
the island of Dr. Moreau and a guy who was approving somebody acting like Dr. Moreau. Yeah. And, and well, you know, to, 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 we, we do have to point out, though, if, if you look at the, the non-fiction uh, writing of H.G. Wells, uh, through it's more political writing and things like that. He does flirt with some very disquieting uh, belief systems. I think ultimately he he ended up rejecting most of them. But he had a flirtation with communism. And he was I know in doing the reading he was a avowed socialist I believe for yeah. most of his life. And I don't yeah. know if there is a difference I know between socialism and yeah. communism. So I don't know if he went that far with communism, but I know he was yeah. a socialist. And and he flirted with eugenics. He flirted with eugenics. He tended to disagree with people that wanted to undertake what's called the positive uh program of eugenics, which is this kind of very active attempt to hybridize or genetically engineer but he had some somewhat positive things to say earlier in his career about a kind of a passive or negative eugenics. Um, society should not make a great deal of effort to help um, uh, populations that are, uh, as it were, not doing very, very well in the Darwinian struggle for survival. Uh, now, ultimately, he came around to not believing that. He had a change of heart. Um, particularly with regard to uh, uh, the black uh, race in that he had interviews with um, um, Booker T. Washington and he came to, he came to a fuller understanding and I think he ultimately changed his mind, but early in his career, you read some of this stuff and you cringe. Um, But to his credit, he was also very open to critically examining ideas that he was flirting with and he did it brilliantly in the literature, for sure. And talking about you know colonialism, um, around this same time, I don't know the exact date of this novel, but black people made similarities between this and the famous Joseph Conrad story, Hearts of Darkness. And re, um, watching that documentary about the making of the 96 film, the original director who was kicked off, Richard Stanley, who was very passionate about that story, he said... Conrad didn't like Ryland to Dr. Moreau because he said Moreau was way similar, way too similar to his character with Kurtz. Yeah. And of course, now with Kurtz, you have with Marlon Brando in the 96, you have the Apocalypse Now, which was based on Hearts of Darkness, but in the Vietnam War. So it has that connection. But there is because here is this white man in this, you know, island with, you know, you could say the savages and he's somewhat civilizing them but they also see him as a god and yeah he has the right to kill and do whatever he wants just like in hearts of darkness yeah. and apocalypse yeah the, the parallels are there and also the parallel exists once again in that story uh to that kind of gradualism i, I described earlier that uh, frog in the hot water kurtz didn't start out being an inhuman tyrant uh, putting heads on posts, you know, around his uh, dominion to create fear and making sure that the uh, savages behaved themselves. Uh, he probably at that point thought he was really doing some work toward uh, civilizing the savages. Of course, he was becoming completely uncivilized himself 
and that we see that same progression in the character of Moreau. So there's a real close parallel between those two stories, I think. And it is an odd coincidence that the same actor played uh, uh, those two roles in films. Yeah, just one of those coincidences that kind of make you shake your head a little bit. And what's interesting about this is H.G. Wells and... I mean, we both don't like the 1996 film. You hate it. I don't. I'm not as passionate about disliking it as you. I find some quality qualities in it, but still not bad, not good. Yeah. But this is the thing about H.G. Wells. I kind of wonder: is does his work? Because he didn't even like the 1932 film. Even though we both like the 32 yeah. film, he felt it did not convey the themes in his novel well yeah. enough. And uh, part of me was wondering because he was born in the late 1860s. Did you know he knew what life was like pre movies? Did he just not like movies? But he worked on a film in the 30s called Things to Come. So I don't think yeah that's the case. So but with War of the Worlds, famously, there's never been a straight up adaptation. He had the Steven Spielberg movie, but he was kind of making something on a commentary of 9/11 America. Yeah. And then there was the 50s one, which is more classic 50s with the Martians more like flying saucers. Um, And this movie and like even recently, you just had The Invisible Man come out a couple years ago. And literally only the title and the fact that there's an invisible man whose first name is Adrian are the only similarities between (laughs) those. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I I think there's something to that. I, I think, you know, when you read Wells... He does go out of his way to explore multiple themes in any one story. And he does it in a way, I think, that is dial- dialogically dense, if that makes any sense. He has, he has his characters undertake very long conversations about these things. And that doesn't work very well in film, unless you want to create a five or six hour film. Um, however, I have to say this. Uh, it works in radio adaptations. I've I've listened to, there is like a 9 to 12 part adaptation of War of the Worlds that the BBC did in 1967. It's great. It's very close to the book. And it manages to capture the complexities of the characters very well. Um, I've listened to a portion of one. I haven't had time to read the whole, or, or listen to the whole thing. A portion of one they did in the 90s. I don't remember the exact date on this story. Island Dr. Moreau. And it works too. And again, that's because the the medium of radio, it's audio. So you're not having to, as it were, worry about the visuals, worry about the gunfight at the end, which seems never ending in the 96 yeah. film. It's just silly. It's, it's, it's like it, Scarface it, in ape costume. Yeah, it, I'm sorry. It's crazy. Apes with AK-47s uh, just shooting at each other and blowing stuff up. It just it wasn't that one in the 1932, but <laughs> no. in that 96 film, I was like, okay, this is just ridiculous. Right. And, you know, because you're not having to worry about the visuals and because you're not having to worry about fitting your story in the typical, you know, two-hour time frame uh, in radio adaptations, especially radio adaptations as they are done in the U.K. And then, uh, of course, you have to mention the famous Orson Welles in 1938. Yeah, and that one's marginally related to the the H.G. Wells story as well. But, uh, you know, of the two radio adaptations, in terms of capturing Wells and what he was trying to get across, that BBC production is much better than anything else. And I would I would say that about this this version of Dr. Moreau too. It 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 
it, it pulls you in. And it's that one is, I think it's about three hours long. But that seems to be the medium for him. That's mm-hmm. that's my take on this. And even I remember there was a BBC one they did of The Invisible Man, which I also thought was very good. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu. This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale. There you can also listen to their podcasts such as Ethics and the Naval Warrior and The Do-Over. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds, which episode I dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found online at soundofcinema.podomatic.com. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker. And I'm Sean Baker. Saying so long, and be sure to catch us next time on Philosophy at the Movies.